Our reading is from 1 Timothy, chapter 1, starting at verse 12, which is found on page 1190, 1190. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have shipwrecked, suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hermiones and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Good evening, everyone. Keep that passage open in front of you. Uh, Let's pray as we start the next um, 20 or so minutes together. Um, Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this um, amazing word that we have that, as we just sung, is the guarantee of our salvation. It is what we cling to. It is all that we have in this world uh, that will see us through whatever we're facing at the minute uh, in order to be with you forever. Whether it's our sin or our suffering, whether it's that around us, or whether it's the um, crisis of just not even being sure that we believe, here are the words of life. And so, our Lord, I pray that you would shine a light brightly into our hearts by your spirit show us jesus so that we might navigate the waters of this world uh, with great confidence and joy amen Uh, so i'd start actually with a bit of an apology so i had some feedback on my sermon last week um, and uh, i've been reflected on it i thought it was good it said actually i came across as cross last week as we looked at how the church are good news guardians. And we thought particularly about the command in verse 3 to uh, this sort of urging of Timothy to stay there and command certain people not to teach false doctrines. And as I reflected upon my feedback, which is excellent to receive, and I'd encourage all of you uh, to give me feedback whenever and as ever it comes up. As I reflected, I realised that actually I am cross. I am cross um, that my denomination has failed to be that good news guardian that actually does command false teaching to stop. 
I am cross about that. And I hope we're going to see the reason why I'm cross about that tonight. Because it is possible, we find out here, to make a shipwreck of your faith and of other people's faith, which means that we don't reach the shore that is heaven. That we don't get to see Jesus face to face. And so what we're talking about here is of the first order of importance because it goes right to the heart of whether or not we will cling to Jesus in whatever you've got going on in your life at the minute. And some of us will be hanging on by our fingernails right now. And actually, this, this glorious gospel that we've got in verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that is the only thing that will keep our ship pointing in the right direction and afloat in our lives. And so where people mess with that, it makes me cross. But your tone as you speak and teach should always match your passage. And as we've seen here, this is a letter from Timothy to my true son in the faith, verse 2, someone that he loves and he's urging him. And so it is supposed to be in that context of love, urging brothers and sisters in Christ to be guardians of the good news that is Jesus Christ in verse 15. Uh, we read the part of the purpose of this letter we find um, a bit later in chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. as a sort of summary statement that uh, he says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you with these instructions in this letter so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So it's how to live as a church and be a pillar and a foundation of the truth. And what I forgot to say in my opening last week is what is that truth? And that is what we are doing this week in verse 15. It's right there, the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I'm the worst. That's our good news. And so we saw last week that Christians are the most tolerant people of every other person in every other relationship but there is one area where we are deeply intolerant and that is the area of maintaining a true teaching keeping to that good news of Jesus where people go off the rails with that we are intolerant of that and we're being urged to be careful with that and so we thought about look if you hear false teaching you want to hear it which means you want to listen carefully you want to say it say hang on a minute I'm not sure that's right and then you want to stop it, which is to say, either yourself or to them, I think we should stop saying that and actually come back to this verse 15, this trustworthy teaching. It's hard to do. It's awkward. It seems like picking a fight. And you might even think it's not very Christian because I'm being difficult. But if that's what Timothy and the church had to do then, it's what we want to do now, especially as we see the motive today. that actually it's the good news, the light that will keep us going. So we're going to see simply that the gospel that we serve is the gospel that saves. And therefore, what we should do is aim to fight for faith in the gospel, both ourselves and our little ship that is threatened to be overcome by the storm of the world, but also for the sake of others to avoid a wreck of others. Fight for faith in the gospel. So there's two parts here, I think verses 12 to 17, we're going to see the gospel we serve is the one that saves, and then verse 18 to 20, Paul returns to this urging to fight for the faith 
this gospel that we have. So first of all, the gospel we serve is the gospel that saves, verses 12 to 17. So we read there, uh, verse 12, I thank Christ Christ Jesus our Lord, uh, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. So Paul starts off by getting us to consider him, his thankfulness for being appointed to Christ Jesus' service. And the cause of that thanks is that he doesn't deserve it. Verse 13, he's a blasphemer. That's a weird word, isn't it? It just means that you want to basically supplant well, say that you're God and God isn't God. You want to do down Jesus' glory. You want to ignore the Holy Spirit. You know, something along those lines. You're a sinner. But he's also a persecutor and a violent man. You can read in Acts 9, actually, about Ananias, when Paul is converted, is told by God, go and get this chap, uh, Saul, um, and help him out become, because I've called him to be into my service. And Ananias freaks out. You know, he says, look, I've heard what this Blake does to Christians. He persecutes them and he arrests them and he's violent towards them. So extraordinarily, he starts off by saying, look, consider me, I am the last person that should have been shown mercy. But he says, I was shown mercy, doesn't he? Uh, End of verse 13, because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Uh, Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. See, the mercy and the grace of God is the answer. That's, that's how Paul came to be where he is now, uh, how he made the switch from one state to being this amazing apostle, this mighty tool in God's hands. Uh, Paul had nothing to do with it, uh, other than to be the object of God's mercy. In his total ignorance, uh, actually... God's abundance grace was poured out on him. So it wasn't like he worked out how all this worked. It wasn't that he was particularly clever and theologically savvy. He had no idea what he was doing. And just out of the blue, God's grace was poured out over his wrongdoing. So he's talking here, isn't he, about the experience of God's mercy and grace when he first met the living Jesus, risen from the dead. And though his sin against Jesus was great... The Lord's grace was greater, luring out. There's a sort of superabundance of mercy. Do you get all the sort of the most kind of words? Uh, so, the grace of our Lord, uh, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Do you see? Though I was the worst of the sinners, it's all these sort of superlatives. So, though his sin was great, the grace of God was greater. It reminded me a little bit, actually, there was a time when people had this challenge of pouring a bucket of ice water over their heads. And I remember seeing a farmer once in his sort of grubby clothes stood underneath a a tractor with a bucket full of water and it just dropped on him. And, you know, all the filth, you know, it's ice cold, so he squealed a bit, but all the filth is washed out. It's like this amazing superabundance of grace is just poured out on Paul and he's been totally transformed. What he's experiencing is actually, in verse 14, the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus welling up within him. It's that experience of that first encounter with Jesus. Look, for some people when they come to know Jesus, it's like crossing a border at 10,000 feet in a plane. 
you're not sure when you crossed it, but you know when you land, you're in a different country. For other people, it's like a hard border crossing, and you go from being in, I don't know, North Korea to South Korea, or whatever it is. And that's what he's talking about here. He's been totally transformed. His motive now for defending the good news about Jesus Christ is what we have here. So the, the good news of grace, it's worth guarding because uh, before we even get to verse 15, because this is a gospel that takes the worst of sinners like Paul and makes them key instruments in his kingdom of God bringing people to heaven. It's, it's a gospel that makes the ungodly like Saul and turns them into the godly like Paul. It takes enemies of God and it binds them into Christ, this gospel, this personal encounter with Jesus, in which there's a relationship of faith and love that's found in abundance. Can you see how glorious it is before we've even got to verse 15? Paul is showing us that from his own life. What could be added to this gospel or improve it that it would have this kind of effect on a man like Paul? Where is there a more powerful good news or more lovely that an enemy would become this precious son and co-worker in this kingdom? But there's another aspect that makes this good news worth guarding that Paul wants to draw us attention to, and that's just the substance of it. So here he is in verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Gospel summary. It is the truth that the church is to be the pillar and the foundation of, and it's here to confirm to us that Paul's miraculous conversion, faith and love, rests not on false teaching, but it rests on just the ordinary plain teaching of Christ. That's all it rests in, the simple doctrine. Here it is. What does it say in verse 15? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Not just to be a moral example, though he is that. Not chiefly to save people from poverty, disease, and provide comfort, though actually he does sometimes do that. But to save sinners. Not to save those who are basically good, but those who are full of sin. Not to have some of a, a particular ethnicity, but to save all nations who will acknowledge their sin. And so what sense do sinners need saving, need rescuing, more than those things like the cure of poverty or, or a perfect moral example? What can be of such a great need that when God sees his enemy's need of it, like Paul, that he would go out of his way to leave heaven and come into the world and to die on a cross just to execute a rescue that would cost him everything with his son dying in that shameful and awful way. What could be that important and desperate? What rescue must be that big? We don't have it here. But throughout the gospel, throughout the Bible and the gospel, it's clear, isn't it, is that we are rescued from the eternal wrath of God in hell for the punishment of our sins that we rightly deserve. Instead, they are washed away in that superabundance of grace poured out on us, and we are given Christ himself, as we were hearing um, in Sunday morning last week, Christ himself is our righteousness and our salvation. When he is with us, we have all that we need in terms of our righteousness and our rescue. And that means that we stop being objects of wrath, like Paul was, and we become 
children, genuine children of God, greatly loved, instruments in his kingdom like Paul is now. What other good news will save you at all, let alone save you in this way from the wrath of God? And so the motive for guarding this good news is that it saves people. You know, if you had a cure for cancer in a little pot, I don't know, you see, when you're in a film, don't you, you see that, and they have, like, oh, this is the cure for the zombie disease. It's in here. If you had that, you would guard it, wouldn't you? You wouldn't let anyone pour anything in that. You wouldn't let anyone take anything out of it. You wouldn't let anyone ignore it. If you had a cure for something like that, you would guard it closely because it saves And so it is here with Paul. How does he continue? But, uh, of who I'm the worst, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for all those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Can you see how he's saying, look, you know, the reason why I'm saved it, part of it is actually so that people would know how brilliant this gospel is. They'd look at me and go, hey, weren't you the guy who, but now you're, what? This gospel must be very cool. So Paul is both a guardian of the good news and he's also an example of the good news. We're supposed to look at this man, most deserving of death and hell, and see a God-forgiven, loved, major player in God's plans and think, wow. What is it that does that? Because I want that. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves, isn't it? And Paul is so excited about it, isn't he? He's sort of been building up a bit that actually he breaks into a prayer of praise, encouraging us to join in with him uh, in praising God for this good news that is so worth guarding. And in verse 17, he suddenly just flips into a prayer. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You see that? Have you ever sort of spoken about the gospel with someone and you get so excited that suddenly your hands are in the air and you go, yes, and to God, he is awesome, he is good. I have never done that. <laughs> but I should. Because this gospel is so awesome. It is so worth fighting for because it saves and because it transforms. Can you see that? That's the positive reason of to why we should be uh, good news guardians because this gospel is so lovely. And so what does that mean for us? Well, Paul paints it for us specifically. He comes back to Timothy, to urging him to do what he said in verses uh, 3 through to 7. It's the same thing. And that's fight for faith to avoid shipwreck. Fight for this faith. I want you to be a good news guardian who, who silences false teaching. Here he is in verses, um, where are we now, 18 to the end. Timothy, my son. He's, he's supposed to be loving, isn't he? He's, he's urging, and I want to urge you. I don't want to be cross with you, I want to urge you. I urge you then, um, I am giving you this command. So this command is referring back to verse 3, where we had the command. Do you remember that? As I urged you when I went to the Macedonia, here's the command. Stay here in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine. Do you remember that? So he says, I give you that command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Have you got that? 
So what's going on here? Well, uh, we've got this command to silence false doctrines and stop the promotion of sort of empty controversies in the church. Uh, and then we've got these prophecies that it, I'm not sure what those are about, uh, Timothy, but what we can say from here is by remembering what was said about him, it's going to encourage him to do that. Uh, this is not a one-off command, but an ongoing battle that's going to need to be done all the time. And obviously someone has said something, uh, a word from God that said, actually, Timothy, you were going to fight that battle. Um, and so the aim of this command uh, and the aim of that reminder is to facilitate Timothy fighting the battle well. Did you see that? Fighting the battle well. Not badly or ineffectively. And that battle seems to be a personal one. Because here there's, there's an image, the imagery here of fighting the battle is that of a soldier fighting a battle against uh, this false teaching, one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, and that's just an image. We don't use arms like Islam or other religions. We mustn't do that. And the times when Christianity has done that has been an absolute disaster. But we contend for the faith with words. Words that say you need to stop that. Words that are proactive, that engage with people, that are commanding them to stop in verse 3 and calling them out of empty controversies. Not passive or ignoring the issue, but fighting the battle well. And, and, we're, and we're reminded again why. This is what, we, what we're to do, to fight for this faith. Uh, verse 19, holding on to, to, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with, regarded to the, with regard their faith. So some false teachers, rather than holding on to the faith, their faith has been shipwrecked. Rather than encouraging faith in others, like Paul the worst sinner, uh, to forgive an apostle, they've done the opposite. Do you see that? We've had Paul, worst sinner, to apostle. That's encouraging me to cling to the gospel, right? But what's happened here is there's a shipwreck of their faith, which actually does the other way. It's the opposite. The image of a shipwreck is of a deadly disaster. And believe me, it is deadly in these days. A shipwreck in this age means almost certain death. There's no coast guard. There's no radio. There's, no, there's not even probably people on the shore because there's that few people living along the coastlines. It's only you caught between the waves and the rocks until eventually you go under. A shipwreck is not a small thing. It means death. It's the opposite of Jesus has come into the world to save. Do you see that? It's serious. If you were in any doubt about the gravity of this situation, do you see how verse 20 really amplifies it? Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. That's a huge thing, isn't it? To hand over someone who's in the church to Satan in order that they might be taught not to blaspheme. You can read about Hymenaeus' teaching in 2 Timothy 1.17. It's there described as gangrene, something that rots right into your skin, and unless you cut it off, it will kill you. Uh, whom I've handed over to Satan. I think, apparently, there's some kind of disciplinary action that's been taken with the result that Hymenaeus and Alexander are not under uh, Paul's apostolic authority anymore, anymore to be called to repentance. But they are outside the kingdom of God and the church somehow. Uh, and that's eternally significant, isn't it? And horrifying to hear. It's so serious a situation, false teaching, isn't it? It's not a small thing. 
But do you know, even there, there's a little granule of grace for them. Did you notice it? It says they might not be taught, they might be taught not to blaspheme. Do you remember when the last time we saw blaspheme? It's back, isn't it, with Paul, who says, actually, I was a blasphemer. And say, actually, there is that ray of hope that always that church discipline is exercised with the hope that people will come back. So the good news of Jesus Christ says there is nothing more worth guarding. Look at Paul's own salvation and his life afterwards. So we must fight as Timothy did to ensure that false teachers don't make a shipwreck of their faith or of our faith or of anyone else's faith. It's a deadly serious issue. If you think about, I don't know if you've been to Cornwall, but Cornwall apparently was uh, famous for its shipwreckers. Do you know what shipwreckers do? So in the old days, there's no lights anywhere, and you're sailing on your sailboat, and what you rely on totally is the lighthouse in order to get you to safety. Now, what you do if you're a shipwrecker is you put out the lighthouse light, and you light another light on the shore, which means the boats then sail at the rocks until they're shipwrecked, and then you collect all the stuff that washes ashore. Do you see that? This is so precious hanging on to this because we are all in our little boats and we're struggling along in high seas trying to get to safety, which is heaven. This world will always be a struggle. Not only have we just got the desperate struggle of just surviving day to day, but we've got these guys, these people who want to draw us away from Jesus, whether they be atheists who tell us it's all nonsense, or whether they be people who look like Christians who tell us, no, 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 it's not that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You're not really a sinner. And they've lit a false light on the shore. And so what we need to do, the only thing that's going to get us through is if we cling on to the words of God that are like a light on the horizon and we sail towards that. And we do that as a church family, encouraging one another no, 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 fix your eyes on that teaching there, this word which tells us what this precious gospel of Christ is about. Let's keep going that way. Don't look at that light and follow that one. Let's go there. Don't give up. Don't let the storm overcome you. We're nearly there. And this is a gospel that is worth hanging on for because it's the only gospel that saves. We await the promise and no matter who, even on board our own ship, might point to a different salvation or tell us to give up on Jesus, we will fight to keep this ship and our ship pointing at Christ and only Christ because there is no one more lovely and there is no one that saves from the wrath of God besides him. And that's why it is worth fighting for the true doctrine of the gospel. And it's why it's worth being angry about it. Because when people light false lights on the shore... It's not just a sad thing. It's an awful thing. And so the challenge for us is to be ruthless about false teaching. Hear it, call it out. Hear it, say it, stop it. Hear it, call it out, tell people to stop it. We may not like it, but it's worth guarding this good news because it's wonderful in and of itself. So false teaching abounds now with the internet. Uh, and the many different mediums that come to our ears and our eyes uh, is quite different actually now from what it was then. And we need to be very careful that we spend, you know, what are we spending our time on and listening to? Let's be careful about what we watch and listen 
to ensure that it deepens our faith and our resolve to head towards the life and is not shipwrecking us. And if you're not sure, then ask someone who's more mature. Ask someone who's got a bit of nous. Is this guy on the internet who's telling me on YouTube or whatever it is, uh, this about Jesus, is that right? Should I be listening to this? Ask about that. Often people think that theology is a dirty word that preserve the theological colleges, but a deep theology is making sure that your ship is in deep waters and making sure that you can spot the false lights from the true lights of the gospel, that you can name with confidence teaching that is not right. And in, and in, <clears throat> and in any event, you're already a theologian if you're a Christian because all that means is someone who studies God uh, and so by doing more theology, by getting in deeper into our Bible, deeper theological books, by getting into church history, these things help us enormously be the kind of spiritual leaders and the type of church Paul is aiming at here. But most of all, if we're just here today and you're struggling, you know, you feel like you're tossed about on the sea, that is a normal experience for Christian life. What we have that will see us through is this precious word. We just sung it in Amazing Grace, didn't we? That actually, if we, these words are the promise that what is coming is the rescue. And so we must guard this in our own hearts and in the hearts of others because it's only this that will see us through the turmoils that we face. No one else has come into the world to save us, the worst of sinners, except our lovely Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we uh, consider Paul's life and think, Lord, how he was so perfect according to the law, how he came from the right family and the right people, how he was blessed in lots of sort of earthly ways, and yet, Lord, here he is owning that he was a blasphemer, persecutor, a violent man, uh, one who acted in ignorance and unbelief. <laughs> and Lord, we think... Uh, Lord of our own lives and how wonderful it is that you have come into our lives to make us your children just like Paul even though he was such a mess and we are such a mess and Lord now we have this precious hope and Lord we pray that you would help us to cling to it and silence all other attempts at drawing people away uh, from you Lord because you are ours and ours alone and all we want is you and to be home with you where there will be no more storm, no more discouragement, no more darkness. Only the joy of being in your presence. We long for that, Lord, and pray that you would keep us for that day in the power of your spirit. Amen.